Please turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, verses 47 through 52. This morning, we continue our, our walk through the Bible, Matthew's gospel. We are studying the parables, the kingdom parables here in Matthew 13. We've almost come to the end of this chapter. Matthew 13, verses 47 through 52. Matthew 13, beginning in verse 47. This is Jesus, the King of Kings, speaking. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Father, we pray that we would hear from you this morning, that we would hear all that you want to say to us Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray that your Holy Spirit would apply this word to our hearts, that I would rightly divide the word of God, that we would rightly hear, that I would preach a better sermon than I've prepared. Father, that we would hear your truth. Father, guard uh, our hearts and minds. We pray that the, the word, the good seed would fall on, on good soil and bear fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. Keep the devil from plucking up the seed. Keep, keep the seed from falling upon stony hearts that, where the seed doesn't take root. Keep the seed from falling among the weeds where it gets choked out. Yes. Father, we know that we could be as, a, as attentive as possible and I could preach the best sermon ever preached. And yet, Lord, if you don't come and open hearts and open eyes and apply the word by your spirit. All is in vain. And so we, we stand helpless before you, Lord, and ask that you would come, that you would apply your word to our hearts and lives, that you would truly change us and sanctify us, God, that you would make us more faithful and holy people, that you would make us more humble people and loving people, that you would uh, help us be all that you want us to be in Christ, that you would sanctify us, O oh God. We pray, Father, that you would save sinners who may be here this morning that have not yet come to know the Savior. Lord, we ask that you would awaken people, that you would cause people to be born again. Father, we pray that you would work in our lives as we hear about hell, that you would break our hearts for the people around us, that we would see that, that every person in the world falls under one category, those headed for hell and those headed for heaven and that we would have broken hearts over those headed for hell such that we must speak up, that we must warn them, that we must tell about Jesus because we love them and, and even more so because we're so amazed, Lord, that you would save us. And so God, help us, equip us, change us, train us, 
Let us hear from you. Let us sit at the feet of Jesus and be changed by him and made into his image, we pray. For Jesus' sake. Lord, we pray for those who are suffering among us. We pray, Lord, for Chrislana and her family. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would help them trust in you. In light of the death of her father, we pray that you would strengthen them and encourage them through the word. We pray that the funeral would be glorifying to you, the gospel would be proclaimed. Lord, that people would know that only Jesus died and rose again. Only Jesus saves from death. That Muhammad is dead. Buddha is dead. Confucius is dead. But Jesus is alive. Father, we praise you that we worship a living and risen Savior and not a dead false prophet. Thank you for Jesus. Apply his word to our hearts now for Jesus' sake. Amen. Lord willing, we finish today the parables that Jesus told about the kingdom of heaven. The last two Sundays, we've meditated on the parables about the value or worth of the kingdom of heaven, the parable of the treasure hidden in a field, and the parable of the pearl of great price. We learn that having Jesus and his kingdom is worth selling everything with joy just to have him and his kingdom. Today, we come to another parable an earthly story where Jesus talked about uh, 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 situations and circumstances that are are familiar to the people there. They were fishermen, and so we hear about a net today. But it has a heavenly meaning, a spiritual meaning. And we come to a parable today about the close of the age. The close of the age about judgment, a parable that's very similar to the parable of the wheat and the tares or the wheat and the weeds. This is the parable of the dragnet. And we're reminded again that God will judge. God will judge. We are to be a people who fear God, to know that God knows everything. Everything that's done in the dark, everything that's done in secret. As as Christians, we know that God will someday open the books and everything we've ever done, everything we've ever said, everything we've ever thought, everything we thought was secret is going to be made known and God is going to judge. And He will cast the wicked into hell forever and ever and ever. We're going to think about that today. And... um, Sometimes people, sometimes people have, have trouble when I preach on hell. And I, I just want to say to you who are believers, you need to hear this with joy in, in that when you hear about the horrors of hell, you, you need to be reminded that Jesus saved you from this. <laughs> so all, all the... The, 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 the hellfire and brimstone that I'm going to speak about today, that, that's applicable for unbelievers. But for you, Jesus went through that himself on the cross to save you from it. So you can actually listen to this with a little amen in your soul and heart. Yes, that's Eve, that's terrible. But God saved me from that. And, and, and so from your pastor's perspective, the hotter he preaches hell 
the happier you should be. And for those of you who are here that don't know Christ, this is, this is uh, an invitation to come to Him and believe on Him. We also see Jesus teach in our verses today that He encourages His disciples to teach others what they've learned, both the old and the new. Both the old and the new. We... we the Old Testament is for us. Amen. Jesus, this is Jesus speaking. I mean, there's so many things we should learn that this is Jesus speaking. Jesus talks about hell. We, we live in a world and an age and a culture that, oh, don't talk about judgment. Don't talk about sin. Everybody already knows all that stuff. No, they don't. We're going to be like Jesus. Do you love Jesus? Does anyone love Jesus? We love Jesus. If you truly love Jesus, you're going to want to hear what Jesus says about hell and tell others what Jesus says about hell. And you're going to want to do what Jesus says in your teaching and teach about both the Old and the New Testament and not unhitch from the Old Testament if you love Jesus. You won't be a people who says, Old Testament was just for Jews. What does that have for us? Well, I'm going to go with Jesus on that. And Jesus says we better be equipped to teach the New and the Old. All that to say, if you love Jesus, you're going to love his teaching on hell. You're going to love Jesus talking about sin. You're going to love Jesus talking about the Old Testament. You, you can't say you love Jesus and disregard what he says. No matter how many sweet sentimental feelings and tears you cry and shakes you have. There's a lot of people that preach the socks off people and have ecstatic experiences and fall on the floor and flop like a fish and they don't know God. Mm. And I would say if you get on the floor and flop like a fish because of the conviction of sin, by all means, do it. Amen. Michael spoke of a sermon that a, a pastor uh, preached and, and that sermon was that, was that sin, uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God was that the same sermon I don't know if it was the same one but I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to quote from that sermon today and when he preached that sermon people did fall off their pew and shake because friends if you think about hell long enough it will drive you to shake it will and so may we have experiences fueled by the word of God and truth and not just by emotionalism like the first and second great awakening where God brought revival. Lord God, do that in this sermon through your word, by your spirit. The dragnet of good and bad fish. Let's look at point number one. The dragnet of good and bad fish. Look at verses 47 through 48. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. Jesus teaches us here that the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea. Many believe that this net would to be a dragnet. 
A dragnet is a very large net. One commentator, Linsky, said some of these nets covered one half mile area. This is a, a large net. And they would throw this into the sea and, 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 and troll between two boats. And it would just, just f- take everything out of the sea in the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus uses an image very familiar to the people, again, this, this dragnet that would be thrown in the water and, 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 and attached to two boats, and it would, just, it, would, it would catch everything in the sea, everything, good, bad, dead, alive, junk. It would catch everything. And Jesus tells us that fish of every kind were caught in this net. Fish of every kind were caught in this net. And I, I do believe the, the focus of, of this every kind is on the good and the bad. But, but I do want to make a, a brief side point because the, the word for every kind in the, in the Greek is the, is the word for every ethnicity. And so a, a brief side point. Jesus is saving people of every kind. He's saving people from every ethnicity, every tribe and tongue and language and nation. He's saving people from every calling, every every kind of occupation. He's calling every kind of personality, the quiet ones and the loud ones, the introverts and the extroverts. He's saving people from every gender, and there's only two. Male and female. He's saving male and female. He's saving young and and old people. He's saving rich and poor people. He's saving smart people and not so smart people. He's saving beautifully, outwardly beautiful people like Rachel in the Bible. And he's saving not so beautiful people like Leah in the Bible and like Jesus in the Bible. People want to make such a big deal about what Jesus looked like and the Bible tells us he wasn't nothing to look at. There was no beauty in him that we should desire him. So whatever you want him to look like, he ain't looking good to the human eyes what the Bible says about him. Because that's not the point. His looks didn't save anybody. His blood does. He's saving people from every kind, beautiful and not so beautiful. Revelation 5, 9, and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. The kingdom of heaven is taking all kinds in. No one is excluded. This is good news. No one is excluded. Everyone who comes to him by faith, who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, shall be saved. Whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. But this every kind, I believe in this text's main focus is on the good and the bad. The good and the bad. Verse 48, when it was full, men drew. When the net was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So there were good fish and bad fish. 
There were fish that could be eaten and sold on the market to gain a profit, and there were fish that couldn't be eaten and sold on the market for a profit. So the, 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 the Old Testament law forbade them from eating fish without scales like catfish. They didn't want those. They threw out the bad, they threw out the dead, and kept the good. That's the, the parable proper. And Jesus, thankfully, again, tells us what this parable means. Point number two, the close of the age and the dreadful day of judgment. That's what this parable points to, the close of the age and the dreadful day of judgment. Look at verses 49 through 50. So it will be. So he tells that parable about the dragnet and the fish being separated, good and bad, good kept, bad thrown out. So it will be at the close of the age. Jesus is using this this earthly story of, of, of fish in a dragnet to, to tell us about the close of the age, the end of the world, the judgment day of God that's fast, uh, fastly approaching. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. So the evil, who are they? Sinners who have refused to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ they will be thrown to the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In many ways, what this parable teaches us is the same as what the parable of the wheat and the tares taught us. There are some differences, some different focuses, fo fo foci, I don't know. Don't go to me for grammar, go to Michael Osborne. But Jesus clearly believes we need to hear this twice. <laughs> See, sometimes pastors, and I'm not saying this is wrong, but they might read through this section and say, oh, there's overlap here, so I'll just preach this all together because it's the same point. I, I, I think Jesus wants us to hear this twice. <laughs> this is important. There's emphasis here. We need to Hear this twice, there, 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 there will be a judgment, Jesus is teaching us, and, and there will be a solemn separation. Remember those nine points I made in the parable of the wheat and the tares. Number one, Jesus did not come the first time to immediately bring about the fullness of the kingdom of heaven. Many of the Jews thought that that would happen when Jesus came the first time. He would destroy all evil, uh, 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 free the, the, the Jews from the Roman oppression, and the kingdom would come all in its fullness then and Jesus would set them free. Jesus did not come the first time to immediately bring about the fullness of the kingdom of heaven. Yes, the kingdom has come. Christ said the kingdom is in your midst, but there's more to come. Remember the already and not yet. We see that in this parable as well. The separation will happen at the end of the age. Number two, as the kingdom of heaven comes, the righteous and the wicked will dwell together in the world until the final judgment. The righteous and the wicked will dwell together in the world until the final judgment. Three, some of the wicked will be hypocrites and false professors in the church. That is true. Some of the wicked will be hypocrites and false professors in the church. I remember Harry Reader. he's a, a, a PCA pastor, faithful man, and he, uh, he 
at least early on, specialized in church revitalization, went to churches that were dead and dying and would preach the gospel and see God raise the dry bones to life. And I remember he, he wrote in his book, From Embers to Flame, he, he was at his first Sunday at this n- a, a new church and he preached the gospel and the, 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 the person playing the piano and one of his deacons got saved. <laughs> there, there are people in the church that need to get saved. Number four, sin and the wicked will remain in the world until the final judgment. Sin and the wicked will remain in the world until the final judgment. Beloved, realize this really helps us with the the, the answer of the problem of evil. Have you ever heard that? The problem of evil. There's the problem of evil. I, I just can't believe in God because the problem of evil, if God is good, why is there evil in the world? Well, Jesus flat out told us there's evil in the world and told us it would remain in the world until he comes back. It wasn't a problem for Jesus who faced the greatest evil that any man has ever faced in the history of mankind when he was crucified on the cross by wicked men. That was the greatest evil ever committed, these wicked men putting the Son of God to death. It wasn't a problem for Jesus. Don't let the problem of evil be a problem for you trusting in God. It wasn't a problem for God in the flesh, Jesus. And he told us that evil would remain in the world until he comes back. Five, there will be a great separation of the righteous and the wicked at the final judgment. Six, we must exercise a measure of patience until the day of final judgment comes because God is patient. Seven, at the final judgment, all sin will cease in the kingdom and all the wicked will justly be cast into a fiery hell forever. Eight, all the righteous will shine like the sun. They will be glorified and be with Christ forever where there's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. We saw that emphasis more in the parable of the wheat and the tares than in this parable. And nine, though there will be great opposition, God will accomplish all of his purposes for his kingdom and no obstacle, no devil in hell will ever stop him. This parable Jesus teaches is one of the reasons we believe our two last paragraphs of the statement of faith that every member signs that they believe before they join this church. Of the righteous and the wicked, it reads. We believe that there is a radical and essential difference between the righteous and the wicked, that such only as through faith are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and sanctified by the Spirit of our God are truly righteous in His esteem while all such as continue in impenitence and unbelief are in his sight wicked and under the curse. And this distinction holds among men both in and after death. In one sense, beloved, there's only two kinds of people in the world, the righteous and the wicked. I mean, we thought about the diversity, the diversity of those whom God will save. Beloved, hell will be just as diverse. There are only two types of people in the world, in the big picture. Those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and trust him as the God-man who was crucified and risen from the dead. And those who reject him. Those who reject him. Which includes everybody else. Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, Jews who reject Jesus. 
Every other religion is a straight road to hell. Atheists, agnostics, good people who are moral but don't repent of their sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. There's only two kinds of people in the world and God is going to judge. God is going to judge. Whether you believe it or not, God is going to judge. The last paragraph of our statement of faith says, of the world to come, we believe that the end of the world is approaching, that at the last day, Christ will descend from heaven and raise the dead from the grave to final retribution, that a solemn separation will then take place, that the wicked will be a judge to endless punishment and the righteous to endless joy and that this judgment will fix forever the final state of men in heaven or hell on principles of righteousness. Men and women, boys and girls will be raised from the dead and given new bodies. The righteous will be given a new body to be able to, to experience the exquisite and amazing pleasures forevermore in the presence of God for all eternity. Because your body can't take it. Our bodies can't take the kind of pleasure God's going to give us in heaven, in his presence. They just can't take it. They ain't ready for what he's got prepared. We need a new glorified body to enjoy the amazing beauty and pleasure and ecstasy like you've never imagined on earth. You need a new body for that. And he will raise the wicked from the dead and give them a new body that will be able to endure and experience and suffer the endless torment that they will face forever and ever and ever and ever because they will feel pains and torments and hopelessness and suffering and depression like they've never imagined on earth. And they will need a new body to take that kind of wrath of Almighty God in forever and ever and ever and ever. That's what Jesus is teaching us here. There will be a judgment. There will be a separation. And, and judgment will happen in a fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Judgment will happen in a fiery furnace, Jesus says, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And people may ask, well, do you believe that, the, do you believe that that's literal? It's that, what Jesus says, and worse. It's that and worse. It's that and worse. Yes, I take it literally and worse. <laughs> I take it literally and worse. Jesus is using language here. Uh, it, it, people knew what a fiery furnace was. You know, fiery furnace, you think of Shadrach. I always, I, I, I'm scared to say it because I'm scared I'm going to say the Veggie Tales version. <laughs> Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
not Rack Shack and Benny. You remember the fiery furnace there? Jesus uses this imagery to describe what, what, what kind of suffering will happen there in hell. And, and he says that there, that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I use this illustration a lot, but it, 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 it sticks in my mind anytime I talk about this because it turned my stomach. I don't know if you ever watched anything that it's made you sort of sick to your stomach. But I remember uh, when ISIS was running rampant in, in Iraq and, and they somehow shot down a Jordanian fighter pilot and they put him in a cage and they put gasoline on him and they lit a flame. And I watched that video. It turned my stomach. It made me want to vomit to, to watch a man be burned alive. But I wanted to watch it because of what Jesus says about hell. And so I watched this and I saw the, the flames erupt around him and I saw him gasp in pain and, and suffer. But then his body began to char and turn into a black soot and he fell to his knees and then finally fell back backwards dead. And that, that must have been excruciating pain to be burned alive. And he maybe felt that pain for maybe a minute Maybe, maybe less. Friends, the description Jesus gives us of hell is, is like being set on fire like that, but never dying at the height of that pain that man would have felt. Never dying. Not next year, not in 10 years, not in 100 years, not in a billion years, not in a trillion years. Never, ever, ever, ever ceasing to be tortured with pain and suffering. That is what Jesus says will be the end of the wicked. That is what Jesus says will be the end of the wicked. And, and he, he says this in love. He warns us in love. And this is good. Those who question the, the rightness of this, and many people do these days, many people are giving up the doctrine of eternal endless punishment because they just can't fathom that God would do something like that. And so they say, oh yes, maybe that'll go on for a million, billion years, but at some point God is going to have mercy and just cause them to cease to exist. Well, we believe the Bible here, Amen. not our emotional feelings and what we think is right and just. We believe the Bible. And Jesus gave us a powerful picture of the endlessness of this torment in Matthew 25, where he contrasts endless joy and eternal life with God in heaven with endless punishment and suffering in hell. And this is what we deserve. Yes. This is justly what we deserve for our sin. Because God is infinitely holy. God is infinitely good. God is infinitely righteous and just. And, and, and the only righteous punishment against an infinite God is an infinite punishment. 
Do you see the justice of this? The justice of everlasting torment in hell. Someone in the church got me a new fly swatter. And I'm five, I'm four for five attempts. That thing works good. Five times I've tried to swat them, four dead. Do I get in any trouble for swatting a fly? Am I a murderer? Some people think so. But we kill flies. We, we stomp on roaches because they bother us and get in our food and cause diseases. We, we have mouse traps. But the worth of a fly and a mouse is relatively small value. But if, if my friend who's walking his dog walks down the street and I just decide I don't like the dog and I go kill the dog, well, that, that's a step up from a fly. You, you, can, you can be fined and put in jail for cruelty to animals for doing something to a dog. What if someone walked in here today and said, Pastor, quit talking about Jesus or I'm going to shoot you. What would I do? I don't know. I hope I can keep preaching. Jesus saves. He shoots me. Well, that guy's going to be in big trouble because the, 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 he, he's, he's killed an image bearer and thankfully our laws still today protect image bearers of God and, and put people in prison and even give people the death penalty for killing other human beings. What if someone assassinated the President of the United States? The whole world would know about it. And that guy, big trouble. What's the point? As the value of the one sinned against increases, the extent of the punishment increases. Beloved, God is infinitely great. Infinitely great. To sin against Him justly and rightly deserves an infinite punishment. And, and so if you, if you hear me speak about hell today and you think that just doesn't seem fair, ask God, Lord, show me how beautiful you are. Show me how righteous you are. Show me how valuable you are. Show me how infinitely great you are. Yes. That you are one worthy for me to sell everything to have. You, you, you see, that's part of the, of, of, of the foundation of, of this eternality of hell, that, that he's that valuable. And so hell is so bad because God is so good, and righteous, and holy. And we often don't get that. So ask God to show us, Lord, show us your holiness, that we get this. Show us your holiness. Jesus spoke about hell in Mark 9, 47 through 48. You know, you know, Jesus spoke about hell more than anyone else in the Bible combined. Did you know that? So again, just, you know, we, we have these notions about Jesus because we like to make Jesus like we are. <laughs> we need to take the Jesus of the Bible and not what I think Jesus should be like. My little sentimental Jesus who never says anything hard, who never brings up sin, who never talks about God's judgment who's not just, no, he's like me. I, I just always nice to people. Well, Jesus ain't like you. Amen. <laughs> Jesus is holy, righteous, just, and good. He's more loving than you are. Yes. He loves God's glory more than you do. Yes. 
We, we have to take our beliefs about Jesus by actually looking at what Jesus said and the way he lived and correct our notions about Jesus by what we read. Jesus spoke of hell more than anyone else in the Bible combined. One pastor said, I believe he did because if he didn't tell us, we wouldn't believe it. And, and he speaks about it in Mark 9, 47 through 48. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Why does the worm not die? Because it's always got something to eat forever and ever and ever. In other words, the fuel is never extinguished. In other words, you will live forever there and suffer God's wrath. Why is the fire never quenched? Because the fuel never goes out. That fighter pilot, he burned and stopped burning because he burned up. No, in hell, the wicked will be more like the burning bush. It caught flame but wasn't consumed and yet all the pain was felt. Those are the pictures that Jesus gives us of, of, of God's wrath in, in hell. Where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why am I talking about this? Because our text says there will be, it's described as a fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you ever gnashed your teeth? You know, sometimes you, you see in movies, they, you know, they've got to do something, they've they got to amputate a leg, that maybe it's a war scene, and they've got to cut the leg off of a man, and so they, they get this, this piece of wood and wrap cloth around it and stick it in his mouth, so when they cut his leg off with a, with a, a knife, he, he can bite into that, 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 that uh, uh, cloth rolled uh, piece of wood because of the pain. And so when people have unbelievable pain, they, they put their teeth together and gnash and weep at the pain. This is the way Jesus describes hell. These are Jesus' words. The most loving man who ever lived, the most kind and gracious man who ever lived. He said these things. Is that the Jesus you know and love? And he seems to keep doing this. I mean, he just did it right in the wheat and the tares. He did it all over the summer on the mount. So, so if you come to me and say, Pastor, you talk about hell too much in judgment. I, I, I'm just, I'm just, brother, sister, I, I'm just giving you Jesus. I, I just, I'm just preaching the Bible. And again, friend, as a believer, I'm, I'm reading this and preaching this thinking, God saved me from God has saved me from this. If you're a believer, you will never face this, ever. Jesus took that kind of pain for you on the cross. Jesus took the weeping and gnashing of teeth on the cross that you might never face it. But if you're not a believer, this is what you will face. And Jesus loves you enough to warn you. Listen to how this pastor who is most known for his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, listen to how he describes hell for unbelievers, for the unbeliever. This is addressed to unbelievers. The God that holds you over the pit of hell, 
much as one holds a spider or some loathsome insect over the fire abhors you and is dreadfully provoked. His wrath towards you burns like fire. He looks upon you as worthy of nothing else but to be set, but to be cast into the fire. He is of pure eyes than to bear you in his sight. You are 10,000 times as abominable in his eyes as the most hateful, venomous serpent is in ours. You have offended him infinitely more than ever a stubborn rebel did his prince. And yet it is nothing but his hand that holds you from falling into the fire every moment. It is to be ascribed to nothing else that you did not go to hell last night and that you were allowed to awake again in this world after you closed your eyes to sleep. And there is no other reason to be given why you have not dropped into hell since you arose in the morning but that God's hand has held you up. There is no other reason to be given why you have not gone to hell since you have sat here in the house of God provoking His pure eye by your sinful, wicked manner of attending His solemn worship. Yea, there is nothing else that is to be given as a reason why you did not this very moment drop down into hell. O sinner, consider the fearful danger you are in. It is a great furnace of wrath, a wide and bottomless pit full of the fire of wrath that you are held over in the hand of that God whose wrath is provoked and incensed as much against you as against many of the damned in hell. You hang by a slender thread with the flames of divine wrath flashing about it and ready every moment to singe it and burn it asunder. It would be dreadful to suffer this fierceness and wrath of Almighty God one moment, but you must suffer it all eternity. There will be no end to this exquisite, horrible misery. When you look forward, you see along forever a boundless duration before you, which will swallow up your thoughts and amaze your soul. And you will absolutely despair of ever having any deliverance, any end, any mitigation, any rest at all. You will know certainly that you must wear out long ages, millions and millions of ages in wrestling with this almighty, merciless vengeance. And then, when you have so done, when you so many ages have actually been spent by you in this manner, you will know that all is but a point, a dot to what remains, so that your punishment will indeed be infinite. Oh, who can express what the state of a soul in such circumstances is? And all that we can possibly say about it gives but a very feeble, faint representation of it. It is inexpressible and inconceivable for who knows the power of God's anger. How dreadful is the state of those that are daily and hourly in danger of this great wrath and infinite misery. But this is the dismal case of every soul in this congregation that has not been born again. However moral and strict, sober and religious they may otherwise be. Oh, that you would consider it, whether you be young or old. There is reason to think that there are many in this congregation now hearing this discourse that will actually be the subjects of this very misery to all eternity. We know not who they are, or in what seats they sit, or what thoughts they now have. It may be that they are now at ease and hear all these things without much disturbance, and are now flattering themselves that they are not the persons promising themselves that they shall escape. If we knew that there was one person and but one in the whole congregation that was to be the subject of this misery, what an awful thing it would be to think of. If we knew who it was, what an awful sight would it be to see such a person. How might the rest of the congregation lift up a lamentable and bitter cry over him? 
friend, hell is, is real. And, and people joke about it. People say things like, I can't wait to go to hell so I can party with the wicked for all eternity. They have no idea what they're saying. Father, give us eyes to see and hearts to understand the very language that you use in Scripture to describe this unbelievable, frightening future for the wicked. And and Father, we pray if, if there is anyone in this congregation now, even one, who who is not born again today and and not trusting Christ and does not know you. God, we beg you that today, Lord, you would scare hell out of them and give them a delight in Christ and cause them to be born again. And Father, for those of us who have believed, Oh, fill us with joy that this is what we've been saved from. We will never face this. Never face this. Lord, what a great day it is today. What a great day. No matter what we faced this week or this morning, when we realize we've been saved from this to be with you forever, it is a great day. A day of rejoicing, a day of songs and singing a day of happiness. We've been saved from this. Thank you, Jesus. Help us get it, God, for Jesus' sake. This text reminded me of a song I shared with you before. Remember Sister Mavis Forbes, who is now with her king in paradise in heaven, and and she once, when I was visiting her in the hospital, she sang this song that, that is one of the most frightening songs I've ever heard called Standing Outside. Judgment is surely coming, coming to you and me. We will be judged that morning for all eternity. Some will go into heaven, others will be denied. Will you be in that number, standing outside? Standing outside the portals, standing outside denied, knowing that with the demons ever you shall abide. Never to share the beauty awaiting the sanctified. Oh, what an awful picture standing outside. Standing outside while loved ones enter the pearly gate, knowing that there forever you will then separate to be away from loved ones and by our God denied. Oh, what an awful picture standing outside. Can you not see the picture of those who are lost in sin, standing outside the portals without a hope to win, soul crushed with deepest sorrow, without a friend to guide? Oh, what an awful picture, standing outside. It's so awful to be standing outside because Jesus is not present outside in his love and grace and mercy. Why is it so awful to be standing outside? Because Jesus is not there. Jesus is not there in his love and and mercy and forgiveness and tenderness and grace. He's not there. But beloved, he is there. Very present in hell, in his wrath and justice and fury. 
some of you may have wrongly been taught that the, the, the devil runs hell, that the devil punishes people in hell. That is not correct. That is not biblical. Jesus runs hell. Jesus punishes in hell. Hell is Jesus' hell. Hell belongs to Jesus. For those of you who decry social media, and many of you might be better off being without it, but one of the reasons I love it is I get great sermon material from people on Instagram and Twitter. And Mark Dever shared this quote by C.H. Spurgeon, the most powerful statement I've ever heard on hell and Christ in my life. Charles Spurgeon said this about hell. It is the iron crown of hell, for Christ reigneth there supreme. Not only in the dazzling brightness of heaven, but in the black, impenetrable darkness of hell is his omnipotence felt and his sovereignty acknowledged. The chains which bind damned spirits are the chains of his strength. The fires which burn are the fires of his vengeance. The burning rays that scorch through their eyeballs and melt their very heart are flashed from Jesus' vindictive eye. There is no power in hell besides his. The very devils know his might. He chaineth the great dragon. The devil's on a chain even now. He can't do anything more or less than Jesus allows him to do. As one said, he's God's devil. In hell, he chaineth the great dragon. If he give him a temporary liberty, yet it is the chain in his hand. And he can draw him back lest he go beyond his limit. Hell trembles at King Jesus. The very howling of lost spirits are but deep bass notes of his praise. While in heaven the glorious notes shout forth his goodness, in hell the deep growlings resound his justice and his certain victory over all his foes. Thus his empire is higher than the highest heaven and deeper than the lowest hell. That's my king. That's my king. Jesus is king, beloved. Even of hell and in hell. He is the king of hell. He is the king in hell. He is the king over hell. And he's the only king who saves from hell. That's my king. Do you know him? Do you know my king today? Friend, if you're here this morning and you don't know the king, you need to come and know him today yes. because what Pastor Michael said this morning in Sunday school, quoting again this same pastor that preached about hell that I just quoted, Edwards, this might be your final chance. Today might be your final chance to accept the terms of the king. He might not give you another chance to repent and believe the gospel. Today is the day of salvation. Right now is the day for you to come and repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Lest you go to that place where King Jesus will torture you for his glory and for the praise of his justice for all eternity. 
Will you come to him? Friend, do you realize you've sinned against God? You've broken his laws and commandments. You've been disobedient to God in various ways. You've, you've sinned against him by rebelling against authority. As a child, you disobeyed your parents. Children, you realize that's probably one of the biggest evidences of your sin and your rebellion as you sin against God by not listening to your parents and not doing what they say when they say it immediately after they say it with a smile on your face and joy in your heart. <laughs> that's God's standard, you know. It's not simply doing it immediately as they ask, even though that might be hard enough for you. Do it immediately. No second thoughts. Delayed obedience is disobedience, somebody said. But do when they say it, immediately when they say it. But with joy, yes, God has given me these parents and through them God commands me and when I do what they say, I'm delighting in God and obeying God. My mom would tear my hide up for the wrong look. Don't you look at me that way, son? Because God looks at the heart. God looks at the heart. I used to stick my tongue out. Ooh, woo. I love my mom. Mom, if you're listening to this, I love you. We sin against God. We rebel. I deserve hell for the things I did as a child. And we sin against God and, and disobey parents and deserve hell for that. And then we grow up and we learn about other things and other ways to sin. We, we sin against God uh, with our sexual rebellion, having sex outside of the marriage bed and, and looking at pornography and lusting after men and women. We sin against God in that way. We, we lie and we, we cheat and we steal and, and we don't love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We don't love our neighbor as ourselves. We, we don't give God his due. We don't honor him as, as worth selling everything for and, and following. We, 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 we don't think about him. We don't worship him. We don't praise him. We don't thank him. We sin against him. We murder in our heart. We lose our temper and get angry. We're not content. God has been convicting me of, of that this week, that I, I, I'm not content in his will. I think I know better. Why am I not content? Because I think I know better. That's why I'm not content with my life. That's why I'm not content with the way God is working things in my life. Because I, Joseph, think I know better than Almighty God. What arrogance. He should squish me like a fly. We sin against God in that way. And we deserve hell. We deserve what we've been describing, what we've been hearing. But God loves sinners. I mean, th this is the amazing thing. God loves sinners. He, he loves people who rebel against him in that way. And so he, he gave the, the treasure of heaven. He, he gave his son to come and live a perfect life. The God-man, the Son of God, fully God, fully man, live a perfectly obedient life, never sinned in this way, always loved, always served, always trusted God, always obeyed in every way, in feeling, in thought, in action, in word. And then he died. He died on that cross where he suffered the very sufferings we're thinking about in hell. He suffered the wrath of God. What is the, the, the main pain of hell? 
It's the wrath of God, the judgment of God, the curse of God. It's, it's, it's Christ inflicting that punishment on sinners in hell. Jesus took that punishment, the, the, the wrath of God upon himself, and he absorbed it all such that there's no more to pay. And he died, and he stayed dead for three days. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. He conquered sin, death, and hell. He conquered sin, death, and hell. He, he's alive. So that if you turn from your sins today and believe in him, you will not face this hell. You will not be cast into the fiery furnace. You will be welcomed in the presence of God, adopted as his child, and kept forever in heaven where there's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. You won't miss out on any pleasure. Some of you may think you've missed out in life. You've missed out on your dreams and your hopes and the things you really hoped would happen and, and pleasures that you know are long past because you're now old. If you're in Christ, you won't miss out on everything, anything. If you're in Christ, you won't miss out on anything. The best days are always in the future for you. The best days of your life are always in the future. In the presence of God, there will be fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Would you believe on him and trust in him? You can't work for this. You can't earn it. You can't do anything to, to get God in your favor. That's a big difference between Jesus and all other religions. Every other religion is a works-based religion. If you want to get to heaven as a Muslim, you have to take your shahada, you have to fast, you have to go on hajj, you have to give alms, you have to do all these things. And even then, you don't know if you'll get in. Muhammad didn't even know if he would be saved. And he wasn't. Because Muhammad is a false prophet and Allah is a false God and Jesus is the only way to be saved. And if you trust in him, if you believe in Jesus, you can know you have eternal life. You can know today. You can know today. Be certain. I will be with God forever in paradise. One apostle said, I've written these things that you may know you have eternal life. Because Jesus paid it all. It's not about works righteousness, but about Christ's righteousness that you receive by faith alone. And he'll change your life such that you begin to live for him and glorify him, not so that you can earn heaven, but because he changes your heart and you delight what he delights in. Friend, this is the gospel. Would you believe in him today? that you might not go to hell. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Please believe the gospel. I'll be here afterwards. There are others here who would love to speak with you. Please trust in Christ today. Today is the day of salvation. You may not get another opportunity to trust in Christ the rest of your life. Trust him today. And finally, point number three, the understanding of the parables. The understanding of the parables. Friend, I, I, I just, this is a sort of a side point before I get into this. But, but, but just, just compare Jesus to what you hear on TV. Compare Jesus to what you're listening to on TBN. Compare what Jesus says to what Joel Osteen preaches and T.D. Jakes preaches and Creflo Dollar preaches and these, these charlatan false preachers. They don't preach about this. They don't tell you about this. They're liars from the pit of hell who need to be saved themselves. 
believe the Bible. Find people who will, if, if, you, if you're from another church, find a church that preaches what Jesus says. These people, I'm, I'm just noticing there, there was this big conference in Kenya this week. And people are all excited about it. And false teachers galore just preaching garbage to people. And the people love it. They love it. And, and they would say what I'm doing is so dangerous because you shouldn't talk about the man of God. They're not men of God. They're agents of Satan. Touch not God's anointed. They're not God's anointed. They're Satan's anointed. And you need somebody who loves you enough to tell you that. Find faithful preachers, faithful churches. You don't have to come here. Go to Risen Christ Fellowship at Germantown. Come with us to Christ Church Westchester. Find a good church. I can point you to good churches. If you don't want to be here, I'll show you others that preach the Bible, that preach Christ, that preach the true gospel. But so many churches, so many churches preach a false gospel these days. And it just highlights the words of Jesus that we've already seen in the Sermon on the Mount. Few will make it in. The way, the way to, to heaven is hard and narrow and few find it. But the path to destruction, the path to hell is wide and many enter in. Friend, be one of the few. Be one of the few. Listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus and follow Jesus and trust in Jesus. Jesus talks about hell and judgment. But the people who smile all the time and only can tell you how great your life can be in this world and never get sick and have everything well, well, they don't tell you about hell and judgment because they don't preach the same Jesus. We must understand. This, this, this is a good uh, transition into point number three. We must understand the parables of the kingdom. We must understand the words of Jesus. Look, look at Matthew 13, 51 to 52. Have you understood all these things? So Jesus preaches these parables and then says to his disciples, have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Jesus asked his disciples if they understand. This is important. Jesus' disciples must understand the words of Jesus. We must understand. We must understand the words of Jesus. They and we must understand the word of God. Daniel Doriani, a pastor, comments on this this yes by the disciples. They quickly say they have. Yes. We are tempted to laugh. Have they truly understood everything? The hiddenness, the small beginnings, the surprising form, and the supreme value of the kingdom. Do they know Jesus is the sower and the judge? Succeeding events show that they do not. They try to send away the crowds whom Jesus wants to serve. They flatly tell Jesus he is wrong when he says he must die on the cross. No, they have not understood everything, but they have believed what they understood. More important, they are ready to act upon it. This, this yes from the disciples, it, it reminded me of young lovers. When they say, I love you. I love you, honey. I love you, baby. I don't think that when I, if ever, fall in love with a woman, I'll ever just say that. I, I, I'll say, I think I'll say something like, I love you, and I want to spend the rest of my life learning to love you more. 
because I just know I have no idea what I'm saying when I say I love you. <laughs> I just no idea. And that's why the Bible says things to older women, teach the younger women how to love their husbands. Oh, I just love him. <laughs> well, why did the Bible say you've got to learn to love him? Because wait five or ten years in. When the butterflies go away. You've got to learn to love him. And so I'll say, I love you, baby, and I'll spend the rest of my life learning to love you more. Yes, we understand. But we know there's so much more to understand. There, there's so much more to learn about. And, and Jesus is so patient, isn't he? He doesn't say, no, you don't. Why are you saying yes? You don't understand. You're going to do this to me in a few more days. He doesn't do that. He accepts their yes. He accepts their youthful exuberance and lack of understanding. I mean, he's so patient with the disciples all the time. He loves them so much. He loves us so much. He, he's patient with us. He, 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 he helps us grow. He helps us mature. He, he never leaves us nor forsakes us and, 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 and walks along with us in our immaturity and weakness and helps us grow. Jesus is so patient with them. He's so patient with us. And yet, beloved, remember, only God can give understanding. Only God can give understanding. Matthew 16, 16 through 17, remember when Simon Peter replied to Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. God has to give you understanding. Like I prayed here, I mean, you, you, you can be here listening and take every word in and rightly understand it. I can preach the best sermon that's ever been preached. I mean, Jesus preached to Judas. Judas had the best discipler ever, the best preacher ever, and he's in hell. God must give you understanding. God must open your eyes, open your mind, open your heart to understand these things, to believe in Christ, to flee from the wrath to come. God must give you understanding. And so, again, if you're here this morning and you're thinking, this guy's a nut. This, hell, come on. Give me a break, dude. If that's you or anything like that, please pray. Just pray, God. Give me understanding. Right now, I think this is a joke. I think the Bible's a joke. I think Jesus is a joke. I think hell's a joke. I think that this guy is just a religious uh, nutcase who is trying to preach hell to control the masses and get people to give money. <laughs> Ask. Ask God to give you understanding. To show you the truth. To read the Bible on your own. And ask God to give you understanding that he would show you the truth because he has to do it. He has to give you this understanding that you might know and believe. And we see in this, these last verses that Jesus' disciples were scribes of the kingdom and we should be too. Jesus' disciples were scribes of the kingdom and we should be too. The Jewish scribes were experts in the law and the Word of God. They were to be experts in the law and the Word of God. They, they were to read the Word of God, study the Word of God, interpret the Word of God, write about the Word of God, teach the Word, word of God, and they were supposed to live the Word of God. R.T. France comments on this, this, this 
language of scribes of the kingdom. He says, while uh, grammatus, that's the word there for scribe, normally denotes a scribe in the technical sense of a professional teacher of the Jewish law, this literal meaning seems hardly relevant in this context, and it is more likely that Jesus is designated his disciples who had no formal training as the scribes of the kingdom of heaven. The teaching he has given, he has trained them. In comparing them to a householder who bring out of his treasure, Jesus is not merely describing them as uh, in, in usual parables, he's challenging them to fulfill that role. They have received treasure through his instruction. Now they are to bring it out in teaching others. What is new and what is old uh, is a description of Christian teaching may include a dig at the Jewish scribes who could only produce what is old. It also refers back to verse 35 where Jesus' new teaching is identified as going back to the foundation of the world. It is new and revolutionary, but its validity lies in that it is grounded in God's eternal truths, now at last brought to light through Jesus' teaching. Jesus' disciples were trained by Jesus himself. They were to hear Jesus' words and remember Jesus' words and study Jesus' words and rightly interpret Jesus' words and trust in Jesus and his words and obey Jesus' words and tell others about Jesus and about his words. That's the point of these last verses. Jesus' disciples were to be like masters of a house who bring out treasures new and old. Friend, do you realize you have a treasure? You have treasures, you've been given treasures who know Jesus and his words, who have the word of God. You've been given treasure that you're to bring out. You're not to keep it to yourself. You're to tell other people. You're to share the gospel with people. You're not to keep it to yourself. They are to be teachers of God's word. We are to be teachers of God's word who teach the whole counsel of God. They teach what is old. They don't unhitch from the Old Testament. The Old Testament is to be taught here. Jesus says it right here. New and old. Treasures new and old. Don't belittle the Old Testament. If you do, you're disobeying Jesus. You're disregarding Jesus. Bring out treasures new and old. Now, new has the priority. New is first because we are to understand the old in light of the new. We're to read the old in light of the new. But we bring out both new and old. Jesus, all that he taught was grounded in the Old Testament scriptures. He came not to abolish but to fulfill. And these disciples are to also teach what is new. Here to show how to rightly understand the old in light of the new. The old is full of Christ. The old points to Christ. The old is fulfilled by Christ and we're to show people and get to Christ from the old and the new and show how Christ fulfills it all and, point, and it all points to him. Spurgeon said, don't you know, young man, that from every town and every village and every hamlet in England, wherever it may be, there is a road that leads to London. So from every text in Scripture, there's a road towards the great metropolis Christ. One Jamaican pastor, I was listening to a sermon by Legan Duncan, and he quoted this Jamaican pastor. He didn't mention the man's name, but he, he said this man was a huge man, and he had this deep voice, and he, 
he said this, this about uh, being submissive to Christ in the scripture. And I'll admit, I added a few holes in here. The whole of life must be brought under the whole control of the whole Jesus Christ. And in order for the whole of life to be brought under the whole control of the whole of Jesus Christ, the whole of life must be brought under the whole control of the whole of Scripture. You see, you can't separate Jesus from his word. You can't think you love Jesus but don't love what he says. You can't say that you love and obey Jesus without loving and obeying this book. You can't do it. You can't do it. If you want to be submitted, wholly submitted to the whole of Christ, you must be wholly submitted to the whole Scripture. And beloved, again, that's why I encourage us every year to read the whole Bible. Have you read every word that Jesus said? Have you, have you read the whole thing? Some Muslims have the whole Quran memorized. Now, it is a shorter book. But just another encouragement, even if it takes you five years, endeavor to read every word your Christ has given you to be submitted to the whole of Christ and the whole of Scripture. One commentator summarizes these two last verses. The Christian who carefully studies the Bible has a wealth of treasures. Two, the Old Testament is like an old treasure. Three, Jesus' teaching is like a new treasure. Number four, both treasures are to be valued and shared. And shared. Shared, why? So that God is glorified so that God is glorified. That's the main reason we share, right? Sometimes I have people ask me questions about what I do as far as evangelism, and I, I, I tend to know what underlies the question. Like, people ask me sometimes, hey, you, you, you run and give out tracts when you run. I'll be running up Fifth Street, and I'll, I'll see somebody, hey, ma'am, I'm a pastor up the street. I give out these when I run. If you're interested, you can have one. And sometimes people ask me, how many people actually come to church by you doing that? And some people, when they do that, they, they might be thinking that, that what you're doing is pointless because nobody's ever come that you've given them to. And, and, and then that lets them not feel burdened to do that. Or street preaching. People do it. I go talk about street preaching at Westminster Seminary. Oh, how many people have come to church from you street preaching? I get that question. I know what they're thinking. Listen. If you acknowledge Jesus before men, God will acknowledge you before his Father in heaven. You know what that means? It means it's a success every time. Every time you speak of Jesus in front of men, no matter how crazy they might think you are, on the airplane, on the bus, running down the street with a sweaty track because you've got sweat all your face because it's humid outside, and you give them a track, you are testifying before men that Jesus is king and they need him. And you have an assurance that your Father in heaven will acknowledge you, my son, because you acknowledge him over and over and over and over and over again before men. It's always successful. And... God is glorified by that. God gets glory by his people speaking of Jesus. It's always successful. And so keep evangelizing in ways that even people in the church lift their nose up 
and say you're wasting your time. Keep doing it. Keep going to Broad and Olney. Keep going to ShopRite. Keep handing out tracts when you walk or run. It's always successful. And people do come. There's a child alive who is going to be chopped up in its womb because we preach it Broad and Olney. Shiloh is alive. I was preaching one time and people were in my face and a man, big man came and stood beside me. I was like, who's this angel? He comes the next Sunday and gives me $1,000 in an envelope and says, I trust you to give this to people who need it. I could go on. It's always successful when you share the gospel with people and speak of Jesus. And so share the gospel, share this news begin to see people in light of hell. Your neighbors are gonna go to hell unless you tell them about Jesus. Your, 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 your mail carrier is gonna go to hell unless you tell him or her about Jesus. The person you see every week at ShopRite who takes your money, they're gonna go to hell unless you tell them about Jesus. Don't let what Michael's teaching about election detour you from feeling a responsibility to go tell people about Jesus because if you don't, their blood may be on your hands. And I'm a Calvinist. I'm a seven-point Calvinist. And yet I feel the burden that if I don't tell the gospel to people and they go to hell, their blood may be on my head. Because God ordained that I go tell them the gospel and I didn't do it in disobedience and I need to open my mouth and get over my pride. God's sovereign man's responsible. And so share the gospel. Begin to see people hanging over the threat of hell. And unless you speak to them, they will die and go to hell. And we have this privilege and this good news to tell because of the cross. I've already said this, but beloved, Jesus was counted as the bad, evil fish who was cast out. Jesus was cast into the fiery furnace where he wept and gnashed his teeth on that cross for our sins. And he is the risen treasure, new and old, who need above all other treasures, who we need above all other treasures. May we be busy telling others about this great treasure. Christ Jesus saves from furnace fire. In hell, where wrath and holy ire burn towards sinners in the mire, it's judgment that will never tire. Forever last, the future's dire. But Jesus came to quench the fire. The righteous one who does inspire did all the good God would require. Then died for sinners, he'd expire. Absorbed God's hellfire. All entire then rose alive so we'd acquire eternal life, righteous attire. By faith alone, he's justifier. Through his spirit, sanctifier. Gives understanding, takes us higher, worth more than every jewel sapphire. We live our lives to him admire, for he is all our joy desire. Beloved, just take a moment of silence and go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to apply what has been said to your heart by his spirit in the ways he wants to apply it. Just pray to him. Pray for understanding. 
Father, we as believers are so thankful that you have saved us from the wrath to come. And Lord, we, we want to tell people about you for the right reasons because you are so beautiful and glorious, because you are so worthy of everyone's worship, of everyone's trust and repentance. You are worthy. That's the main reason. Because we love you and adore you and we want everyone to worship you. And Lord, also because you saved us. We're debtors. You saved us. You snatched us from the fiery furnace. How can we be quiet about you when you've been so gracious to us? Lord, help us understand these realities. And Lord, we love people and we want to grow in love for lost sinners. And so move us, God. Move us to tell others about Christ. We thank you, Jesus, for saving us. We thank you, Lord, for warning us about hell. We thank you, Jesus, for your words. We thank you for giving us understanding. We thank you, Lord, for giving us these treasures to tell. Help us be obedient. Lord, we pray for anyone here this morning who's been listening, either here online. We, we ask, oh God, that you would give them understanding and grant them faith and repentance. We ask that today, Lord, would be a, a great day of, of people passing from death to life and passing out of darkness into your marvelous light by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so save today, oh God. Open people's eyes. Father, we pray as, as, as believers that you would give us a deep joy today, having heard what we've been saved from. Lord, put a spring in our step, put a joy in our hearts, put, put a, a, a fresh and new amazement that we are saved. We are saved. How sweet and, and awesome is the place with Christ within the veil. He could have passed over us and, and left us, but you chose us. You chose to save us. Father, help us be amazed afresh and anew by grace, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Father, thank you. Thank you for this great salvation. Thank you that you not only save us from, from eternity in hell, but you save us to be with you forever where there's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. God, help us get it. Help us understand. Help us grow in understanding. Help us grow in love for you and others, we pray. For Jesus' sake, amen.